It's time for the man that show hosts across the country have been raving about. What this guy wolf. has got to be one of the cockiest human beings on planet Earth. On Earth. I love him. I, I happen to like that guy, but who the hell does he think he is? I like that. Okay, maybe not Evan Cohen, but Mike Babchick has a weird obsession with him. That's why I like him, because he's, he's hot. He's even caught the eye of Adam Shine. Joe Serralo, pride of St. Bonaventure. Woj has called him the future of the industry. If you're still not sold, well, take Adam's advice. If you don't believe me, ask Joe. He'll be the first one to tell you how great he is. Now, it's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with, you guessed it, Joe Sorallo. I might be too strong out on compliments, overdosed on confidence. Started not to give a fuck and stop fearing the consequence. Drinking every night because we drink to my accomplishments. Faded way too long, I'm floating in and out of consciousness. And they saying I'm back, I'd agree with that. I just take my time with all this shit, I still believe in that. I had someone tell me I fell off, ooh, I needed that. And they want to see me pick back up, well, where'd I leave it at? Here we go, an extra episode of Sports Talk, episode 11. Right here, right now, with me, Joe Serralo, on this Monday, October 26th. All over, by far, hands down, the best NFL Sunday so far this season. Which teams yesterday showed that they are legit contenders? Which teams are absolute pretenders? Dallas, New England, I'm talking to you. Atlanta, well, you can't be a pretender. We all knew the Falcons sucked before yesterday's game. And why the Tampa Bay Rays aren't done just yet. I know, the Dodgers have dominated this series with the exception of Game 2. I know, Game 4 was a fluke finish, right? Well, Game 6 of 1986 was a fluke finish. Tampa Bay is not done yet. But let's start off with a team that everybody loves, or everybody loves to hate, America's team, the Dallas Cowboys. What a disgrace the Dallas Cowboys are. I couldn't love it anymore. I mean, the Washington football team beats them 25-3 to with Kyle Allen. You can argue when everyone's at full health, Kyle Allen's probably the third best quarterback on the Washington football team. Obviously, Alex Smith will in all likelihood never be the same. Just the fact that he was able to step on the football field a week ago, absolutely incredible. Alex Smith will never be the same. Dwayne Haskins, I'm not giving up on him. It's very obvious, it's very apparent in his year and a half with the Washington football team. They they never really wanted him, right? They probably, I can't believe it, I couldn't believe it at the time, they probably wanted Daniel Jones. In fact, in my mock, now we're going two years ago, I had them taking Drew Locke. I thought Haskins would be off the board by the time we got to the Washington football team's pick. They never wanted Haskins. That was a forced marriage, absolutely terrible. Kyle Allen, the third most talented quarterback at full health, on the Washington football team's depth chart, looked like Troy Aikman against the Dallas Cowboys. Antonio Gibson looked like Emmitt Smith against the Dallas Cowboys. Meanwhile, Ezekiel Elliott looked like a fourth-string running back. Ezekiel Elliott, back-to-back weeks, has been MIA, nowhere to be found. You're looking at two fumbles in primetime, Monday night, at home against the Arizona Cardinals, and you're looking at a guy who failed to crack 50 yards yesterday. You're looking at a guy who on my fantasy team, one of my two teams, the team that has Ezekiel Elliott, Zeke in the sheets, 
Ezekiel Elliott got me six fantasy points on that team. Now, I won in a blowout. Both my leagues, actually, I won in a blowout. Thank you for my primary league. Thank you, Tyler Lockett, for the 50-point effort last night. That's always greatly appreciated. But Ezekiel Elliott was my lowest-scoring player. My tight end, Eric Ebron, had more than Ezekiel Elliott. My kicker, Matt Prater, had more points than Ezekiel Elliott. My defense, can, can we give it up? Is it allowed? Can we give it up for the Kansas City Chiefs defense special teams? couple of tutties in there yesterday. Zeke was the weak link of my fantasy team yesterday, which is named after him. I mean, realistically speaking, in what world do you expect Ezekiel Elliott to have fewer fantasy points than a tight end, a kicker, and a defense in the same week? He was awful. Absolutely horrendous. And guess what? This isn't new. He's been awful. He's been horrendous all season behind one of the best offensive lines in football. Albeit, they don't have Zach Martin. He's been banged up. He's missed a couple games this year. They are still a top 10 offensive line in the National Football League. And Ezekiel Elliott has not been able to get it going. He wasn't even able to get it going when Dak Prescott was lighting it up. When Dak Prescott was leading the league in passing yards after missing a game and a half. He was still leading the league a week after his injury. A week after that gruesome, brutal injury. And now, Ben DiNucci... The James Madison alum is in at quarterback, the third stringer after Andy Dalton took a nasty hit yesterday when he was sliding down, giving himself up. John Bostic, linebacker of the Washington football team, came in. And no, I don't think Bostic's a dirty player. It was a dirty play. He got ejected, rightfully so. Some people are saying, you know, I saw like Jeff Schwartz. He's been on the show with me down in, uh, in Miami. He was on a few months back former Giant, former Chiefs offensive lineman. He came out and said a suspension is more than appropriate, that the league botched it. Truthfully, it didn't look like it was suspension worthy to me. It was a terrible play. I feel awful for Andy Dalton. I mean, look, you don't want to see that for anyone, but there are few guys in the league more likable than Andy Dalton. This guy just seems like throughout his career, he's gotten bad break after bad break. Yes, we make the jokes. He sucks in primetime. Yes, whenever the Cincinnati Bengals got to the playoffs, it seemed that they choked. They had that big lead against Pittsburgh late. Totally choked it away. The Burr victim Pac-Man Jones penalties on the final drive gave it up for the Bengals. Uh, look, Andy Dalton has just suffered bad break after bad break. And yesterday was just another bad break in the life and times of Andy Dalton. And you hate to see it. What you hate to see more than that is the Dallas Cowboys' failure to react on the field and stick up for their teammate. Do I think Bostick's a dirty player? No, I just said I absolutely do not think he is. With that said, he should have been gone after by every lineman on the Dallas Cowboys. Every tight end, every rece- everyone on the field for Dallas when Andy Dalton took that hit should have been in his face. That sh- a brawl should have ensued when a quarterback takes a hit like that. And I don't think that's an exaggeration. I don't think that's an overstatement. When a quarterback, defenseless, giving himself up, takes a hit to the head of that caliber, you need to break out a bar fight to stick up for your guy. I thought that was absolutely ridiculous that no one got in Bostic's face. No one reacted out of the ordinary to that play. That's terrible. And to me, that just speaks to the character of the Dallas Cowboys organization. On the field, in the front office, it is, it's a mess. Everywhere you look, from the top down, from the team owner and GM and Jerry Jones, to Stephen Jones, to Mike McCarthy, to the 53 guys on the field, starting with their million-dollar, their multi-million dollar man, their supposed best player, Ezekiel Elliott, this team is a mess in terms of their play, in terms of their character. 
the Dallas Cowboys have gone from the Tom Landry-led team that everyone else in the NFL looked up to, the white-collar, perfect uh, example of an organization in the National Football League, to an absolute mess and an absolute disgrace. Frankly, I love it. (laughs) I mean, right? I'm not going to sit here and act like I wish the glory days were back for the Dallas Cowboys. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I want to see the Cowboys return to prominence, return to being a an annual Super Bowl contender. No, I actually love the Dallas Cowboys right where they are, and that is laughingstock territory. Keep them there. Now, speaking of laughingstocks in the National Football League, right? Because there were a lot of games to react to yesterday, and that Andy Dalton fiasco in the Dallas Cowboy game barely even scratches the surface. Speaking of laughingstocks, the Atlanta Falcons. The good old one and six Atlanta Falcons. The Atlanta Falcons are worse at finishing a football game than an 18-year-old college boy is worse at finishing on a Saturday night. The Atlanta Falcons are an absolute disgrace to the National Football League. This is a team that you could make the argument if you break down their schedule. The Atlanta Falcons should have beaten Dallas. They should have beaten Chicago. They should have beaten Detroit. I mean, right now the Atlanta Falcons are 1-6. And and, uh, the the reason I paused there right before I said Detroit, because looking at the Carolina game, on paper, and they're playing this Thursday night already, their second meeting this year, on paper the Falcons should be way better than Carolina, right? The Carolina Panthers are 3-4, and and this is a team who, along with the Jacksonville Jaguars, we were saying was going to tank for Trevor Lawrence, right? Teddy Bridgewater would just get him through this year. New coach Matt Rule. Rule was known for turning around teams in college, did it with Temple, did it with Baylor. He's in Carolina now. You know, try to get the first pick, get Trevor Lawrence. And if you put Trevor Lawrence with Matt Rule and with Joe Brady, don't forget Joe Brady, what he did with LSU as their passing game coordinator and Joe Burrow last year, record set all over that LSU offense. You figure if Matt Rule and Joe Brady got their hands on Trevor Lawrence, all of a sudden the Panthers are right up there with the Saints and Buccaneers in contention for that division. Well, the Panthers aren't going to get Trevor Lawrence because the Panthers have exceeded expectations. They're playing Atlanta Thursday night. So on paper, yes, Atlanta should have beaten them, but it was a touchdown game. We'll say Atlanta should legitimately be 4-3 and three this season. Chicago, Dallas, and now yesterday the Detroit game. Inexcusable losses for the Atlanta Falcons. The Atlanta Falcons are just an absolute joke. They go up and people are crushing Todd Gurley, right? I turn on where it's about 10 a.m. as I'm recording this. I turn on Sports Talk Radio this morning at 6 a.m., and Todd Gurley is getting crushed everywhere, except, and I'll give credit where credit's due, the one host I heard who actually didn't crush Todd Gurley was Evan Cohen of uh, SiriusXM Mad Dog Radio's Morning Men, so I'll give him props, but everywhere else I, I listened, as I'm listening to three or four different shows, Todd Gurley is getting crushed, and Todd Gurley was not wrong for scoring the touchdown. Did you watch the kickers? Have you watched kickers all seven weeks this season, let alone just yesterday? I mean, Tyler Bass missing two chip shots for the Buffalo Bills. Almost didn't cover in that teaser I had. I had him only minus four and a half. Should have been a mortal lock. And they ended up covering. But I mean, out of my four-team teaser, which I hit at plus 250 odds, the Bills were my biggest sweat out. In no way, shape, or form did I think the Buffalo Bills were going to be my biggest sweat out against the Jets minus four and a half. But Tyler Bass misses two kicks. Zane Gonzalez, after his own team, after his own coach, Cliff Kingsbury, iced him last night. Zane Gonzalez misses a 41-yarder, which in the NFL should be a chip shot. Do you really want to have Todd Gurley take a knee at the one-yard line, fall down at the one-yard line? 
and leave the games in the hand. I know it's a chip shot. I know it's less than a PAT, but leave the games in the hand of a kicker. I just, I don't, I don't trust kickers. I don't, you know, maybe, maybe I have a personal vendetta against NFL kickers. I don't trust any of them. Not a single one whose name isn't Justin Tucker, even Harrison Bucker. I mean, right. Harrison Bucker, I think he's hit three 58 yard field goals this season. He has been phenomenal lights out from 50 plus. Harrison Bucker has missed more extra points than any other kicker in the National Football League. I do not trust kickers. So Todd Gurley, you score that touchdown, did everything right. You give Detroit the ball on their own 25-yard line, 75 yards to go, with 68 seconds left in the game and no timeouts. What did Detroit do? They drove 75 yards with 68 seconds left in the game and no timeouts and scored the game-winning touchdown walk-off style. Matthew Stafford's only tutty of the game as time expired. I mean, you can't make it up. That's Atlanta Falcons football. That's Atlanta Falcons defense right there. More holes than Swiss cheese in the fourth quarter. They look great the whole game, right? They're up 14-13 going into the fourth. They're up 22-16 with, well, two seconds to go. And then Maddie Stafford, one play from the 11-yard line. Your defense can't make one 11-yard stop. You know the ball's going to the end zone. Right? You know exactly where the ball's going. Last play of the game. You can't make one 11-yard stop with the game on the line in your own stadium. I mean, what was that Falcons winning percentage as time expired? It was 93% at the end of the game. 93% chance to win. Turned into 100% chance for the Detroit Lions. And don't get me wrong. Look, Matty Stafford's great. TJ Hawkinson, I said coming into this year, I couldn't wait to see TJ Hawkinson perform because tight ends historically do make the biggest leap from year one to year two, right? Tight end is the toughest position to come into the league and learn. You're learning how to block guys that are twice your size, stronger than you, faster than you. You're also learning the route running aspect of the playbook. Tight end's the toughest position for a rookie to come in and excel at right away. Hawkinson has made that leap. I think he's going to be an elite tight end if he's not already making his way there right now in year two. Stafford was great. Matt Ryan looked really good. I mean, Matt Ryan and Matt Stafford, get them the hell out of their respective organizations. I mean, these guys have so much to offer elsewhere that they deserve better than the crap that they're handed right now. And Detroit's 500. Detroit's 3-3. Three and three. Don't forget this Detroit team. And look, I'm totally wrong about this because Aaron Rodgers is a pissed-off man, and I should have seen that one coming. When, when the Packers drafted Jordan Love, that was just the time to put all your money on Green Bay winning the division. And I didn't. I said that I thought this was the year the Detroit Lions, Matt Patricia, in a potential contract year, in a year where I think if Detroit misses the playoffs, Matt Patricia is fired. I don't care if they go 8-8, eight 9-7. Eight, if they miss the playoffs, I think Patricia is out. I think the general manager is out too. But I had Detroit winning the division. The talent is there. So you can sit around and argue, well, Detroit's a more talented team than Atlanta. Look, the bottom line is they both have borderline Hall of Fame quarterbacks. They both have weapons on offense. And they both have defenses that underperform. Detroit happens to have a much better defense than Atlanta. But they both underperform. And they both choke the shit out of the game in the fourth quarter. I mean, the Detroit Lions, I talk about Atlanta, they should be four and three. The Detroit Lions should probably be four and two at a minimum. I mean, most notably that opening day loss to Chicago when they were up 23 to three in the fourth quarter and they lose 27 to 23, right? Let me check the score right now. It was, I'm sorry, 23 to six going into the fourth quarter. And then Mitch Trubisky, of all people, who got benched on a team that right now would be the one seed in the NFC if the season ended right now. Mitch Trubisky leads Chicago to a 21-0 fourth quarter 
and a comeback victory in Detroit. The Lions should be at least 4-2. and two. And it's an absolute disgrace that they're not. This team is talented. So is Atlanta. But they're both poorly coached. And they both, like the Dallas Cowboys, are loaded with quitters. Now, Detroit less so. Detroit, I would say the quitters are more so the Matt Patricias, the coaching staff, the GM. Matt Stafford's got heart. Matt Stafford goes out there to win every week. Atlanta on the field, they quit. Dallas on the field, they quit. It's terrible. The Atlanta Falcons, the Dallas Cowboys, some of the biggest embarrassments in football. Hey, how about the Jets, by the way? Right? The Jets, they go up 10-0, they give up 18 straight, whatever. The Jets are going to go 0-16. I'm just, I'm letting you all know right now, the New York Jets are going to go 0-16. Their best chance at winning a game this year was short week at home, Denver Broncos on their third string quarterback. They squandered that opportunity. The Jets aren't winning a game all year. Congrats. Detroit Lions, Cleveland Browns, New York Jets, three 0-16 teams in NFL history. Of course, you got the 0-14 Bucks too from way back in the day. But how about the Jets? Covering. Covering for the first time this year. The New York Jets are now 1-6 against the spread, which leaves, and I know I've bashed them enough this show, which leaves the Dallas Cowboys as the lone team in the NFL who does not have a single win this season against the spread. 0-7 against the spread are the 2-5 Cowboys. Hell, my New York Giants are 4-3 against the spread. 4-0 on the road, 0-3 at home. The New York Giants. You know, that game was Thursday night. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about Danny Dimes getting sniped from above the stadium on an 80-yard run that should have been an 88-yard run and the third longest for a quarterback in the last, I don't know, 25 years. I don't want to talk about Evan Ingram having manos de piedra, hands of stone, and just letting one clank off his symbols that would have locked up, secured, ended the game. I don't want to talk about it. What I do want to talk about is the fact that my freaking New York Giants would be tied for first place, and don't quote me on this, but I believe with the win over the Washington football team, would have the tiebreaker and be in first place if they held on to that game Thursday night. You would have the 2-5 and five Giants, Cowboys, Redskins, and then the 1-5-1 and one Philadelphia Eagles in the NFC least. Yet they get Sunday night football this coming week. We've got the Steelers and the Ravens, and I'm sure I'm going to bitch and complain about this on my next episode coming out Thursday or Friday. We've got the Steelers and the Ravens, 5-1 and one versus 6-0 and oh, at 1 o'clock on Sunday. And the Sunday night game, primetime, is the 2-5 and five Cowboys with Ben DiNucci. I mean, it sounds like he runs a pizzeria in Staten Island, right? Like, I'm sure DiNucci's is a good joint with, uh, with, you know, I'm sure they got like a couple good heroes, right? It's just more than a good slice. I'm sure DiNucci's does a hell of an eggplant palm hero. But you got Ben DiNucci on Sunday Night Football, the pride of James Madison. Guy's probably better at funneling a four loco than he is at throwing a football having gone to JMU. Ben DiNucci taking on Carson Wentz and the Eagles. I mean, the Eagles are 2-4-1, and one, and I've never seen a team that's 2-4-1 and one be so in the driver's seat of a division in my life. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, right? I would love, obviously, the Giants to come back and win this division. It's not really, uh, it's not impossible, even at 1-6. I would also not mind at all if the Washington football team won that division. I mean, as much as I can't stand Dan Snyder, and obviously a lifelong Giants fan, I root against all the NFC's teams. I love Ron Rivera so much that it wouldn't bother me in the slightest, especially with all that he's had to overcome, all the adversity, getting kicked out of Carolina, just years removed from winning the NFC and going to the Super Bowl. 
battling cancer, which, by the way, I believe his last treatment is today. So congratulations to Ron Rivera on winning that fight, one of the toughest guys in the business. I, I mean, I would not have any problem with seeing the Washington football team win that division. But at the same time, if they did, how hilarious would that be? That people were calling for myself, the Dallas Cowboys, I was calling for an 11-win season. I saw people calling for the Eagles to win 10-11. In one case, I'm not going to name them, <clears throat> Jarrett Bailey, 13-3, and the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, the expectations for Dallas and Philly were double-digit wins. I had the Eagles missing the playoffs. I had them 9-7, and to be honest. Uh, but Dallas, I mean, it's not like I'm bragging about that prediction, about them being a 10 or 11 win team and, and running away with the NFC East, about Mike McCarthy coming in and saving the day. You know, all my Jason Garrett blame goes out the window with this team. Ezekiel Elliott looked a hell of a lot better under Jason Garrett than he does under Mike McCarthy. Now, Dak Prescott was having a career year, of course, before that awful, horrendous injury, but the Dallas Cowboys, I mean, this is, what, the seventh, eighth time I've circled my way back to saying at this show that Dallas Cowboys are a joke, and I love it. Looking at the other 1 o'clock games, from just yesterday, the Green Bay Packers, this has to be the easiest bet I've placed all year. Minus three and a half. It's an awful number. It actually burned me. I was 5-0-1 yesterday, and I'll get to that one, that one push momentarily. I was 5-0-1 going into Sunday Night Football. I took the Seahawks minus three and a half. Luckily, luckily, I thought the Seahawks, right when, uh, when they had the ball, when they were driving in overtime, when DK took that screen to the house, which I was ecstatic about because I had a minus three and a half. I needed a touchdown. Then he got called back for holding. Then Russ throws the interception. I guaranteed that Seattle, when they were driving, was going to kick a field goal and that three and a half was going to burn me. My only loss yesterday ended up Arizona one outright. Anyway, the three and a half didn't matter. I took three and a half with Green Bay. I didn't blink. I didn't think twice. Aaron Rodgers coming off a loss. The Packers were 10-0, not just on the field, but 10-0 against the spread in their last 10 games following a loss. Didn't blink about that one. They end up winning... 35-20, and frankly, the game wasn't even that close. By the way, Deshaun Watson needs the hell out of Houston. Deshaun Watson deserves so much better than the Houston Texans can provide him. He is, Deshaun Watson is an elite quarterback, right? He's a top six quarterback in the National Football League. At the very least, top eight. I say he's top six, and he has no one around him. He's got a terrible running back in David Johnson, who they traded the best wide receiver in football for in DeAndre Hopkins. How's that working out? As Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins are laughing looking at one-on-one coverage by this awful Seattle secondary. Literally laugh. Kyler Murray laughing, smiling and laughing as he throws a deep ball to Hopkins left sideline one-on-one. That's how, and look, the Cardinals aren't a Super Bowl team yet, right? I love them. I predicted them to make the playoffs at 9-7 and seven preseason. They might even win 10 games. They're going to make the playoffs, and I've been on that. But if you told me that they would be in a position where they're talented enough to have the audacity to be laughing, throwing a deep ball against the Seattle Seahawks, the team I had winning that division, the team I had winning last night, I'd say you're freaking crazy. I'd say, who the hell is Kyler Murray? He's talented as as anything. But who the hell is he to be laughing in year two throwing a deep ball against Seattle? Well, Kyler Murray has every right with what he's done this season, with what him and DeAndre Hopkins have done. He has every right to be laughing as he makes that throw. And by the way, while his stats haven't been incredible this season, Larry Fitzgerald, you can argue, saved the game last night. His veteran presence alone, right? His, look, there's no doubt, Larry Fitzgerald right now is probably the third most talented receiver on the Arizona Cardinals. Still doesn't drop anything, 
but he's not as quick as he used to be. He's not going to be as much of a deep threat. He, he was never, he was always a physical guy, more of a possession receiver. He was never really that speedy deep threat. He's lost a step. And you, that's why they brought in DeAndre Hopkins for Kyler Murray. And Christian Kirk has emerged as an incredible talent. Larry Fitzgerald's savviness and his mental part of the game is what won it for the Cardinals last night. His clock management, not the quarterback's clock management, not the coach's clock management. Larry Fitzgerald's clock management is what enabled Kyler Murray to clock it and enabled Arizona to kick the field goal, win the game at the end there. He's absolutely incredible. But sticking with those 1 o'clock games, Green Bay, easiest money I've made all year. Buffalo, as I mentioned, offense was anemic, should have beaten the Jets. A team like the Buffalo Bills, right, who was actually talking about competing with the Kansas City Chiefs preseason. I mean, we have seen that there is there are tiers to the AFC, and there is the Chiefs, Steelers, Ravens, Titans. I would have knocked the Titans down a tier, but they came back and made it really interesting against Pittsburgh yesterday. So there's those four teams, Chiefs, Ravens, Steelers, Titans, no particular order. Those four are top tier. Then there's the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills are in the tier with the Cleveland Browns, with the Indianapolis Colts, and you can argue that's about it. Depending on the week, the Las Vegas Raiders may be in that tier, uh, but the Buffalo Bills are not in that upper echelon yet. Tennessee embarrassed them. Kansas City beat them good. Baltimore and Pittsburgh would embarrass them. So the Buffalo Bills still have a little ways to go. Josh Allen actually looks like he's amazingly regressed in the last couple of weeks. The defense looks like it's finally getting better. They were winning a ton of shootouts that game against the Rams where they were up humongous. They let the Rams back in and then they ended up winning. Allen looked incredible. You know, that was all the defense. The defense wasn't doing their job. Now the defense is back and Josh Allen is floundering. And by the way, as I'm recording this breaking news, I mentioned the Cleveland Browns being in that same tier. Odell Beckham Jr., you know, I'll, I'll criticize him all the time, and I've rooted against him, but this is something you never root for, breaking news. He did just text an NFL reporter, not sure which one, uh, but per Bleacher Report, he texted an NFL reporter saying that he has a torn ACL, and Odell Beckham Jr. will miss the rest of the season. Feel awful for him, you know, sending the best his way. Uh, looking at that, though, it is interesting now to see the Cleveland Browns, I would have said, a lock for the playoffs an hour ago. Or at least going into yesterday. Because an hour ago, we knew Odell was going to miss some time. We weren't clear how much. It'll be interesting now. I mean, people want to blame Odell when things are bad. But people want to praise him when things are great. He looked amazing in that Dallas game a couple weeks back. Then again, I would look amazing against Dallas right now. It'll be really interesting to see. The Browns have weapons. You know, they have Kareem Hunt, who was able to step in for Nick Chubb. We'll see if someone steps in. Maybe Rashard Higgins steps in for Odell now. It'll be really interesting to see. But the AFC is weak. And Cleveland's off to a great start, 5-2. and two. I think the Browns will be okay. They're not going to make any noise once they get to the postseason. But, I mean, just for Cleveland, getting to the postseason is a colossal win. I think at the end of the day, they'll be okay. I just hope Odell is as well. Speaking of that game, by the way, Cody Parkey sucks. The fact that Cody Parkey has a job in the National Football League is that he's so undeserving of is absolutely incredible. Because Cody Parkey got... Pretty much blacklisted, rightfully so, after he missed that kick. The Chicago Bears were a Super Bowl team, a Super Bowl caliber team a couple years ago. Cody Parkey with the historic double clang against the Eagles sends the Bears home. He's out. They bring in Eddie Pinheiro, who also sucked, but Parkey's out of Chicago. Now he's with Cleveland. And I've never been one to get mad about a push. I know a lot of people that to them a push might as well be a loss. No, to me a push might as well be a win, right? 
You know, I, I didn't win anything, but I got my money back. I didn't lose anything. I'm fine with a push. That is the worst push I have ever been on the receiving end of yesterday. I have never been, I don't think I've ever been mad about a push, period. Maybe there was one with Villanova last year I could think of because they missed like three free throws in the final two minutes. So that's probably the second push I've been mad about. First push I've been irate about, right? Because that Villanova game I'm recalling, I believe it was against Xavier. You're dealing with college kids shooting free throws down the stretch. Fine. An NFL kicker missing a PAT after Baker hammers the back door with 11 seconds to go, wins the game, five lead changes in that one on passing touchdowns. Burrow, Baker, back-to-back, ball for ball, absolutely incredible. Browns go up three, 11 seconds to go. All you need is a PAT. They get the win. We get the cover. It's a great day to have a day. And Parkey misses it. Are you kidding me? Cody Parkey, I mean, it's now it's already uh, 10.43 a.m. here in New York on the Eastern Time Zone. Cody Parkey should have been cut at 5 p.m. yesterday. He sucks. He's the worst. The fact that Cody Parkey still has a job, I'm going to be writing letters to the Cleveland front office about Cody Parkey. He is absolutely terrible. Browns get the win. Great for them. Inexcusable miss on the cover there. Uh, Steelers-Titans. I mean, I haven't gotten to that one yet. What an incredible game. The Pittsburgh Steelers going up. Uh, I don't even know what they were. 27-7? Yeah, 27-7. The Pittsburgh Steelers led. Tennessee coming back. 17 unanswered. You know, Ryan Tannehill's legit. And I've always trashed Ryan Tannehill. I guess it's become quite apparent. Maybe I'm late to the party. Adam Gase was the one holding Ryan Tannehill back in Miami. Ryan Tannehill's legit, and he's in a great system. Don't get me wrong. He's also benefited from having a great running back who week in, week out, seems to exceed the previous week's workload, right? Like Derrick Henry is an absolute horse. I have never seen a running back that can just handle the workload every week that Derrick Henry handles. Take the hits, take the contact, and go out there and just still perform routinely and not skip a beat, not take a single week off. Derrick Henry is an animal. Ryan Tannehill is also great. Tannehill always had the cerebral side of things down, Pat. Physically, I just didn't think he could do it. And I mean, deep ball he always had, but it's his accuracy in not so much the deep game, but the middle game, like that 15 to 25 yard game that has really just the last, I guess, full season now with Tennessee that has really just impressed the hell out of me. So the Titans... That comeback from 27-7, if they lost that game 34-14 down when it was 27-7, I would have put the Titans in that tier with the Bills, even though they absolutely rocked Buffalo's world a couple weeks ago on Tuesday night. I would have knocked them down to that tier if Pittsburgh embarrassed them. But that comeback and the fact that they had Pittsburgh on their heels, Pittsburgh, the last undefeated team, the lone survivor right now in the NFL, the fact that they came back and made that one a game, that's why I keep Tennessee up there with the Chiefs, Ravens, and Steelers in that AFC top tier. Uh, the Saints, maybe the only team I don't have a strong opinion about right now. Maybe the only team that I am totally wishy-washy on. Every year preseason, I say the Saints are a contender. Last year, I picked the Chiefs-Saints Super Bowl. This year, I picked the Chiefs-Seahawks Super Bowl, but the Saints, I had winning the division. I said the Saints are better than Tampa Bay. Opening week, week one, I looked like I was right on. Right now... I don't think there's any shot the Saints are as good as Tampa Bay at the moment. Now, given yesterday, three-point win, if you had Carolina originally plus the 7.5 or plus the 8, it looked great when it was confirmed that Emmanuel Sanders, by the way, hope he gets better soon. But if you had Carolina, it looked great when he tested positive for COVID. The Saints, without Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders, you know, and it's the reason I'm wishy-washy, you can look at them two ways because of that, right? You can say, 
geez, the Saints only beat the Panthers by three. And they've got a Hall of Fame first ballot quarterback who owns several NFL records. They've got Alvin Kamara, who has certainly regressed. Still really good. Has regressed from two seasons ago. Or you can look at it and say, hey, no Michael Thomas. Last year, he was the best receiver in football. He's definitely top three. No Emmanuel Sanders, who's maybe the best number two option that Drew Brees has had in a long time. And they still beat the Carolina Panthers. So you can look at it either way. I think they should have won that game. I think that three-point win is actually very appropriate, right? They were home. They should have won. They're a better team even without Thomas and Sanders. But at the same time, the game had all the right in the world to be close because there were no Thomas, no Sanders. So that game, I really don't have much on. The Saints are a team that uh, it's going to take me a few weeks. It's going to take Michael Thomas being back a couple weeks, Sanders being back a couple weeks, seeing them on the field together consistently for me to know what to expect with the New Orleans Saints. Uh, Speaking of that NFC South, though, I mean, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers... You know, they, they royally screwed me a couple Thursday nights ago against St. Nick and the, and the Bears, but wow, they look good. For a second straight week, I mean, after Tampa Bay screwed me on that Bears game, I went all in on Green Bay last weekend, and I was high on Aaron Rodgers. I said, look, I know he's struggled. I know this has Aaron Rodgers. Like, historically, this is a game where he takes a step back. He's going to go do it. He's a man on a mission. And no, he took that step back. And that step back was exactly what he needed to go demolish the Houston Texans this week. But he took a step back in a game that has NFC title game ramifications written all over it, right? So Tampa Bay right now is not a team I'd want to play. The Giants got him on a Monday night coming up. I can't wait for that game. I can't wait to see anytime the Giants play Brady. It doesn't matter how bad the Giants are. I just love to see them put pressure on Brady. And the fact of the matter is the one bright spot on the Giants this year has been that defense. And I just want to see them hit the crap out of Brady. Because when you hit Brady, you never know what happens. You always have a shot. But I thought Oakland, or uh, Las Vegas rather, I thought Vegas would have hit him. I thought Mad Max Crosby would have been in that backfield. I mean, I don't think Brady was hit once. I'm looking right. He wasn't sacked at all. I don't know if he was touched. I think the Raiders thought they were playing flag football yesterday. I mean, that game, it was 24-20 to end 45-20. That game was an absolute blowout. Absolutely terrible there by the Raiders at home. I mean, not for nothing. If it was a blowout start to finish, all right, fine. The Bucks are the better team. Move on to the next one, Las Vegas. But 24-20, I believe it was early in the fourth quarter it was 24-20. Yeah, it was. 24-20 early in the fourth quarter after Daniel Carlson field goal. I mean, to just give up like that? Let Brady go beast mode on you in the final 11 minutes? That's inexcusable. That, that's a team, you know, and, and I love this Vegas team. I, I still think that they could be a playoff team. I think they will battle for that seven seed, but I have issues with a collapse like that in the fourth quarter at home when it's a four-point game against one of the NFL's best. Look, the Raiders have answered the call. You know, they've beaten the Saints. They've played up. They've beaten the Chiefs. They they killed the Kansas City Chiefs. So I expect them when it's 24-20 to make it a game and keep it close and stay engaged, not to just absolutely flounder out there and give up 21 unanswered in the final 11 minutes of the game. Brady's old team, the New England Patriots. I mean, I don't even know what to say about them, right? You look at the other four o'clock games, blowouts. I mean, well, Chargers was a 10-point win, but just an ugly game. Justin Herbert looks amazing. The Jacksonville Jaguars have lost, what is it now, six straight since that opening week upset against the Colts. One and six, the Jaguars. Trevor Lawrence might be a real possibility there. Minshew Mania looks like it's running its course. Justin Herbert looks amazing. I'm going to stand by what I said in April. If I was the Miami Dolphins, I would have taken Justin Herbert. 
Not a knock on Tua. Tua can absolutely go out there and prove me wrong. I think Fitzpatrick should be the starter, at least for the near future. I think it was the wrong time to bench Fitzpatrick. Tua can go out there and prove me wrong. I hope he does. I think Justin Herbert is the better quarterback. I think Justin Herbert, and I have thought Justin Herbert, will have the better NFL career compared to Tua Tagovailoa. The Chiefs, I mean, 43-16. Thank you, defense special teams for fantasy. Already touched on that. Not much else to touch on. People want to blame Patrick Mahomes for not looking like an MVP in that game. Well, he's not going to look like the MVP every week, right? And I think that's what makes him the MVP year in, year out, an MVP contender. Because he doesn't have to go out there and throw for 400, 500 yards every week to give his team a chance. He knows when he can hand the ball off, right? He's got a great running back in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Soon, Le'Veon Bell's coming in. Patrick Mahomes knows what he has to do, and he does what he has to do to put the Chiefs in the best position to win. Their defense did what they had to do yesterday. Their special teams did what they had to do yesterday. And it was a 23-degree game in snowy Denver. Denver was 70 degrees on Saturday, 23 in snowy yesterday. And Mahomes wasn't going to throw for 400 yards and six tutties. It just wasn't happening. He did what he had to do. The rest of the team did what they had to do. And they did what they should have done. They demolished the Denver Broncos. Demolished, speaking of that word, 49ers demolished the New England Patriots. Cam Newton looked terrible. I don't want to sit around here and bash Cam Newton. I love Cam Newton. I was really rooting for that success story. As much as I root against the Patriots, I wanted Cam to be successful. Go get a payday somewhere after this season, somewhere not New England. Uh, Cam Newton's done. I mean, there's just no way around it, right? Like, I wanted, you know, I was so impressed week one watching that Pats Dolphins game with his arm strength, with his accuracy. He was zipping balls into Julian Edelman. It looked like a Roldis Chapman in the backfield, right? He was throwing dimes to Edelman's chest, leading his receivers into it, zipping the ball. Now he's throwing behind guys. He's, you know, lobbing the ball in there. Uh, When he throws it hard, it seems that he's coming up short a lot of the time. There's just, Cam Newton looks terrible. There's no way around it. He looks absolutely terrible. I don't think Jarrett Stidham's an upgrade. You know, I think that the Patriots need to collect themselves. They're two and four. You know, it's still way too early in the season to say that they're out of it. I've heard people say sell. You know, I've heard people say trade Steph Gilmore. I've heard people say start dismantling the team. I don't know if I do that yet. I I just, I have so much trouble giving up on a Bill Belichick-led team. See how the Bills game goes. I mean, they got Buffalo coming up next Sunday. Then they got the Jets, which is a gimme. You know, if they can beat Buffalo, then you got the Jets after that. You're going to be 4-4 and going into the Ravens. You got a little hope. You got the Ravens, Texans. I mean, there's a chance this Pats team could be 5-5 five and five going into a home matchup with the Arizona Cardinals. So it's tough for me right now at 2-4, and four, as horrendous as they looked yesterday in the worst home loss under Bill Belichick. It's tough for me to say it's a lost season. They're not winning a Super Bowl, but, you know, the playoffs are a possibility. If you beat Buffalo, anything's a possibility, right? Because you got the Jets after that, then you got the Ravens, which is a loss, then you got the Texans, which right now, I mean... It's not a gimme. As bad as the Texans have been all year, that game is not by any stretch of the imagination a gimme. But you got to see. You got to let it play out. I, I, I struggle to say dismantle a team when Bill Belichick's at the helm. I really do. But the Pats looked awful yesterday. The 49ers looked like a Super Bowl team yesterday. That's a couple weeks in a row now that the 49ers have looked good. That looked like, They look like they're finally getting back on track. I mean, going into last week's game against the Rams, there was one game this year that the Niners looked dominant. And it was against the freaking Giants. So how much can you really look into that? The Niners right now look dominant. Jimmy G looks good. I'm still not really high on him. 
I still think that, you know, if he didn't have the whole New England storyline being Brady's backup, I still think if he wasn't one of GQ's sexiest men, there'd be way less hype around Jimmy G than there is. But he looked damn good yesterday, so I'll give credit where it's due. And then look, the nightcap. I mean, Seattle, you know, I touched on it earlier. Russ Wilson looked awful for Russ Wilson standards. Three interceptions is incredibly uncharacteristic of him. Tyler Lockett looked like a god. DK Metcalf, I think right now in the year 2020, beats Usain Bolt in a race. I mean, what he did, Buda Baker taking that ball from the goal line to the house. Buda Baker, a 90, when does a 95-yard interception return not end in a touchdown? When? When is that? I, I would have to, I honestly wonder if that's the longest interception return to not be taken to the house in NFL history. DK Metcalf was a man on a mission, topping out at 23 miles per hour to take down Buda Baker short of the goal line. Then what happens? The Cardinals go for it, fourth and goal from the three. DK took him down at the six. Cardinals go for it, fourth and goal from the three, and Seattle stops him. DK Metcalf, what a, should have been game-saving play. I mean, Seattle was up 10 with two minutes to go. Should have been a game-saving play. What a play, though, by DK Metcalf. I love that Seattle receiving core. I mean, Metcalf and Lockett are just, and I heard someone actually tell me Friday night that Tyler Lockett was just okay, that he was taking a clear step back this season. And I I said, whoa, 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 pump the brakes. Pump the damn brakes. DK Metcalf emerging as a new Megatron-type weapon does not speak to Tyler Lockett. DK Metcalf's emergence as an elite top-tier wide receiver does not mean that Tyler Lockett's regressing. It means that Russ has to share the love. It means that the chef simply has to share the love in the kitchen. When you let Russ cook, you gotta let him use multiple utensils. Tyler Lockett was his go-to. Tyler was that lucky spatula. Now he's got DK out there, and he's whooping it up with DK too in the kitchen. So there is nothing wrong with DK's emergence in terms of Tyler Lockett's performance. Tyler Lockett is still Tyler Lockett. He went out there 200 yards, three touchdowns, 50 fantasy points. I know you don't want to sit here and listen to my fantasy team, but anyone who has him, 50 fantasy points. Anyone who knows anything about fantasy football knows that's an absurd number for anyone at any position. That's, that's a number you'd get if quarterbacks were getting one point for every 10 yards, not every 25. 50 fantasy points for Tyler Lockett. Look, the Seattle Seahawks are still incredible. Their defense stinks. Their defense is a royal pain. Their defense is a colossal problem. They also didn't have Jamal Adams. Let Jamal Adams come back. They're 5-1. and one. I think the Seattle Seahawks are the best team in the NFC. I won't say the most complete team. And I, and I know a lot of people would use those terms interchangeably. I don't. I think the Seahawks are the most talented team with the biggest upside in the NFC. I think right now the Buccaneers, and this is more of a credit to their defense than anything else, the Buccaneers are the most complete team because Seattle's lacking on the defensive side of the ball. But Seattle is one of those teams that, you know, they can play a team as bad as the Minnesota Vikings to a one-score game in primetime. They can play the Kansas City Chiefs to a one-score game in primetime. The Seahawks are, if you don't want to say best, if you don't want to say most complete, at least leave it at most entertaining team in the NFC, maybe even the NFL. When we come back, the World Series ain't over yet. Dodgers may be up 3-2, but it ain't over yet. Stick with me, Joe Sorallo, right here on Sorallo Sports Talk.
Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Sorallo. about the 2020 World Series. The LA Dodgers getting ready to clinch it to win their first world championship since 1988. And all I have to say about that is slow your roll. This World Series is far from over. Look, I know that the Dodgers have outplayed Tampa Bay in four out of the five games thus far, right? The Dodgers could have easily made last night's Game 5 the clinching game to this year's World Series. It ain't over yet. I can't wait for tomorrow night. Snellzilla against Tony Gonsolin in a bullpen game. I can't see Dustin May being too available. Maybe, maybe Dustin May comes in for the three-batter minimum. I think Julio Urias is going to be very limited, and I think those are the two guys that if Tony Gonsolin's going to start, those are the two guys you need. Walker Bueller ain't coming in. Unless, I mean, the only way Walker Bueller could be used is if you're talking like you need him to face one batter, ninth inning, game might depend on it, because Kenley Jansen's unreliable as hell. I mean, tomorrow night, I think all signs point towards the Tampa Bay Rays winning Game six and forcing a game seven. Look, the fact of the matter is the Dodgers have them on the ropes, but the Dodgers have been in the postseason on an annual basis what we see from the Atlanta Falcons on a weekly basis. The Dodgers choke in the playoffs. They've been doing it for a half decade. If you ask who the best team in Major League Baseball in the last six years has been, the answer is the Dodgers, a team that hasn't won the World Series, right? It's not, I'm going back to 2015 on this. It is not the, so last five years, six seasons rather. It has not been the Kansas City Royals, the team that won it in 2015. It has not been the Chicago Cubs. You can argue that that team was a dynasty in the making. They've been a huge disappointment. It has not been the Houston Astros. If the Astros won the World Series last year, which they should have when they were up 3-2 to two against a far inferior Washington Nationals team. If the Astros won the World Series last year, they're the best team in the past half decade in baseball. No doubt about it. They didn't though. Wasn't the Red Sox. The Red Sox who either win a World Series or come in last place certainly ain't them. And it's definitely not the Washington Nationals. The LA Dodgers have been the best team in baseball for the past six years, right? The Giants had that stretch from 2010 to 2015, right? Ended with the 2014 World Series. Three ships, five years. Since then, it's been the Dodgers dominating baseball. But they can't get over the hump. They can't do it. And I'm not sold. I'm not saying they're not gonna, right? I'd be crazy up three to two to say that the Dodgers are definitely not winning this World Series. But I don't think they are. I don't. And I think they're gonna choke it away. I think Blake Snell against Tony Gonsolin in game six. Look, I, I look into pitching matchups more than anything. And you can argue maybe in this series I shouldn't. Maybe I should look into the fact that, as I said on last week's episode, the Dodgers have an all-star lineup. 
right? And maybe I should be looking more into the fact that Mookie Betts, Justin Turner, Cody Bellinger, Max Muncy, guys like Kiki Hernandez and Chris Taylor and, and Will Smith, I mean, these guys can step up any given moment. Jock Peterson, you know, I mean, it goes on and on. These guys are all-stars, all of them. I mean, Kiki Hernandez is not an everyday player, yet somehow I feel like anytime there's a big hit in the postseason, Kiki's either knocking in the run or scoring it. I mean, he's in the middle of everything, every postseason. It's not just this year. It was against the Brewers last year. It was, it's against anyone and everyone. Or the Brewers two years ago, I guess, excuse me, in the NLCS. I mean, Kiki Hernandez always seems to be the guy to come up clutch. Yet at the same time, you've got the Dodgers in 2015 losing to the Mets when they had not one, but two Cy Young candidates. And of course, Clayton Kershaw and don't forget Zach Greinke that season. You've got 2016, NLCS. They make it a step further than they did in 2015 and they lay down like little lambs to the Chicago Cubs. 2017, they were on track to win the World Series. They were dominating Houston. The bats were alive. They choked it away. 2018, Reverting to their little lamb self of the 2016 NLCS, going down, looking like a little league team against the Boston Red Sox, the 108-win Sox of the 2018 season. And then last year, going down in the postseason again, when they were clear favorites to the Washington Nationals. The Los Angeles Dodgers, like I said, the only difference is they get to the playoffs every year. They are the best regular season team in baseball. But they're, what we see from them on an annual, yearly level is what we see from the Atlanta Falcons on a weekly level. And that is choking, right? The Falcons look great for three quarters. They have the lead going into the fourth, and they piss it away. The Dodgers look great all season, which you can argue is worse because they're a tease. They lead their fans all season. We're the best team in baseball. I mean, how many times in the last five years, I don't have it in front of me, have the Dodgers had the best record in baseball in the regular season? At least the best record in the National League. Playoffs roll around, and they choke it away. And you can, you can talk about whatever narrative you want. You can blame Dave Roberts and his management, which at times with the bullpen has been questionable. I'm not on the, on the Dave Roberts hate train, right? I think Dave Roberts is actually one of the best managers in baseball. I think getting to the World Series three times in four years makes you one of the best managers in baseball. Having the best winning percentage in the last six years in, in the MLB makes you, in my opinion, geez, the best manager in baseball. I have nothing bad to say about Dave Roberts. I'm not going to crush Clayton Kershaw either. Guy's got now, after last night, the most postseason strikeouts in baseball history. Yes, he's been there a ton. No shit. But he's incredible. He has showed up and showed out in the playoffs for the majority of his appearances in the postseason. Now, what's plagued him is the fact that when the Dodgers get to the World Series, the NLCS, he usually has one really good start. But that never gets talked about because when game five or game six rolls around, he usually chokes at some point, right? It's been a pretty balanced attack for Kershaw of one great outing and one piss poor performance. This year, he didn't have that. Was he lights out last night? No, not at all. In fact, he probably should have left in a tie game. I mean, the fact that the Rays didn't score in that inning when they had Manuel Margot on third base and no outs... And then he resorts to an attempt of stealing home with two outs to tie the game up. That was terrible by the Tampa Bay Rays. That was an awful display of hitting. I mean, this is a team that thrives on sabermetrics and the nerds from MIT who couldn't hit a T-ball in the front office telling them what to do. I got something to do. I, I, you know, the, the guys from MIT might not tell you this, but if you choke up a little bit, 
you got a really good chance at making contact and putting the ball in play and knocking in a guy from third with less than two outs. That's something the guys from MIT don't learn. Choking up. You learn it if you play baseball, not if you major in statistics at MIT. I mean, that was inexcusable by the Tampa Bay Rays to not get Manuel Margot in there. With that said, I have no issue with Margot's play. I think he actually had a great play. In fast motion, in real time live, I thought he snuck his left hand under the plate, right? Because the tag was on his helmet, which you can argue looking at the replay that his helmet was off his head when he got tagged. I thought his left hand was in there in real time. When I saw the replay, I was like, gee, that's impossible to overturn. You just can't do it. It's still a questionable play, but it is impossible to overturn. Bottom line is he shouldn't have had to resort to doing that in the first place because he was on third with nobody out. So Clayton Kershaw didn't look dominant. Didn't look as good as he looked in game one, but he still looked pretty damn good. And I got to give him credit where it's due, and I'm happy for him, to be honest. I am happy for Clayton Kershaw. He has had two really good starts in the World Series, and that hopefully flips the narrative whether or not the Dodgers win. I mean, on the Rays' side, Tyler Glass now is just not the guy you want going game one, going game five, both tied series, 0-0 and 2-2. Look, Tyler Glass now has electric, incredible stuff. He's not quite a pitcher yet. I think he's still in that thrower's stage. You know what I mean? He's young enough. Tyler Glass now is still a kid, but he's still in that stage where he relies on throwing 100 with one good breaking pitch to get him by. And if he was a relief pitcher, that would be absolutely fine. If he, was a relief, if he was a relief pitcher, Tyler Glass would be one of the most electric closers in baseball history. He'd probably be throwing 105 if he just had to throw one inning. And he's 27 years old. So while the clock's ticking a little bit, he still has time to correct it. But he needs more pitches, and he needs to expand his use of the strike zone. Tyler Glass now last night tried to win that game. Tried, well, not tried to win the game, but tried to beat Dodger hitters by going up and down in the strike zone. He didn't go left to right. If you look at the way he threw, he would, you know, try to go high, then go low, try to change planes, which is obviously as a pitcher, something you always want to do, something that's necessary, it's vital to success, is changing the batter's eye level, right? Coming in at the chest, getting him at the knees, going to the shins, you know, dropping it down in the dirt. Changing the batter's eye level is absolutely vital and crucial to success as a pitcher. But you also have to utilize both corners. You have to be able to bust a guy in, and throw a backdoor slider on the outside corner on the black to get him looking silly. You, that's just part of pitching. Make him think it's in the other batter's box, have him step out, and all of a sudden, bam, that bitch comes in over the black. And Tyler Glass now didn't do any of that last night. And he's, we all know, incredibly susceptible to the long ball. I thought Kevin Cash, after the fourth inning, he had an awful first inning, threw almost 40 pitches. He started to right the ship. Second, third, fourth, things got better. I would have taken him out fourth inning, 76 pitches. If you need him in the bullpen game six, game seven, he's there, especially game seven. Instead, they pushed him too far, which they did in game one, having him throw 112 pitches. They pushed him to, I believe, 98. He gives up a bomb to Max Muncy, and that's how we remember Tyler Glass now. Not, well, he, he ended on a high note. They got Margot in from third with no outs, and, you know, it was 3-3, and it was anyone's game. No, instead, they didn't get Margot in, and then Glass now gives up a bomb to Muncie because he was left in too long. And now we remember Tyler Glass now in 2020 as the guy who went out there and didn't write the ship in Game 5, but had two bad starts 
in the World Series. And all the pressure is on a Cy Young winner now, as it should be. Blake Snell, Snellzilla. The only game that Tampa Bay had, the only game they looked like the truly the better team was Blake Snell's start in Game 2. And I can't wait for Game 6. I think Snell versus Gonsolin. I think Tampa's got Game 6. And then Game 7, Wednesday night, is going to be the fun one. That's going to be the game. Charlie Morton in an elimination game. 4-0 with a 0.46 ERA. I was screaming it to the mountaintops last week. I said he was going to win Game 3. He didn't. He didn't. And you know what? I wouldn't start him in Game 7. Walker Bueller going for the Dodgers. Charlie Morton for the Rays. That's what it's supposed to be. I wouldn't start Charlie Morton. I, in fact, would make Game 7 a bullpen game. I would start either Anderson or Diego Castillo. And I would let him go out there and let him tell him, you know, I don't care if you throw a nine-pitch immaculate inning, you're going out there for one inning. Let him go out there and let him pump 102 past Mookie. Let him pump 102 past Corey Seager. 102 past Bellinger with some nasty 90-plus mile-per-hour sliders mixed in, have the bullpen get you through two, maybe three innings, and then hand it off to Charlie Morton. Hand it off to Charlie Morton after Walker Bueller's already been seen once by the Tampa Bay lineup. After maybe, hopefully, no one else has done it this postseason, but after maybe the Rays lineup can start to figure out Walker Bueller, and all of a sudden there's murmurs about the Dodgers bullpen coming in, that's when I go to Charlie Morton, a la Houston Astros, Game 7 against the Dodgers 2017. And if you don't think this Dodger lineup is largely the same lineup that it was in 2017, obviously no Mookie Betts, no Max Muncy back then, I don't think. I don't think. Don't quote me on that, but I, I don't believe Muncy was on the 2017 team. That's when I bring in Charlie Morton. After the bullpen gets you nine outs, Go to Morton. He did it. McCullers went the first four or five. Morton went the last four or five in that game seven of 17. Have him see if he can go the last six. Have him come in out of the pen. After Bueller's already been through the lineup, after your bullpen retires nine Dodgers, let Morton come in and let him do his thing in an elimination game. That is what I want to see from Kevin Cash. Can the nerds teach you that one? Were the nerds watching game seven of the 2017 World Series? That's what you got to do. You got to get creative. You got to get shifty. You know, I'm not saying this is going to be like a Madison Bumgarner moment. You know, Morton already game three, you know, ruined that. Bumgarner started two games, looked amazing, and then came in out of the pen to finish off the Royals. But let Charlie Morton come in out of the pen because Morton's not throwing 102, right? I mean, don't get me wrong. With adrenaline pumping in the World Series, Charlie Morton will be hitting 97, 98, maybe some wicked two-seam action in there too, but he's not going to be throwing 102. Anderson could start out with 102. Diego Castillo could be doing that. Just You want to start him off the bat, maybe get him rusty, catch him a little slow, blow it by Seager, blow it by Mookie, blow it by Bellinger, and then let Morton come in with his uncle Charlie, with that lethal curveball, with his two-seam stuff, which trust me is plenty fast, and let him come in and finesse his way to a Game 7 win. That's how I want to see this thing play out. I'm calling for a Blake Snell Game 6 win, and then in Game 7, Morton versus Bueller, I want that Morton-Bueller battle to start in the fourth inning. I want to see an opener in Game 7 and outsmart the Dodgers. That's where Kevin Cash can go from, well, let's face it, he's already a great manager. That's when he can go from great manager to world champion, and the Rays can finally get over that hump. That's when Moneyball can finally work. Moneyball has never worked. Do we realize this? I mean, maybe you can argue the Kansas City Royals to an extent. You know, you look at 2015, 
the Royals didn't strike out. You could say it's Moneyball because of their payroll. I say it's old school baseball because nowadays everyone strikes out. And the Royals struck out less in 2015 than any team in the league that year. What do they do? They put the ball in play. It's pretty much a lost art in baseball. It's all or nothing nowadays. The Royals just put the ball in play and they capitalized on that. So this Tampa Bay team, if they can do it, this would be the first real Moneyball approach to a World Series. Moneyball's gotten teams there. It's gotten them to the championship series. It's gotten them pennants. Let Moneyball get them a world championship. If this game goes to a game seven, use the opener and bring in Uncle Chuck, Charlie Morton, out of the bullpen. Guys, that's it. I really thought this was going to be a quick show. I didn't mean to keep you for an hour. I just had a lot to say on this Monday morning. A lot of reactions to the most wild week in football this year to the World Series, which is far from over. I'm still putting out an episode later this week. I'll see you guys Thursday or Friday. Thanks for sticking with me. Joe Serralo, right here on Serralo Sports Talk. S class, G class, lot of class. In a rocket and that bitch ain't got no tags. Louis bags in exchange for body bags, yeah. Sick of these niggas. Sick of these niggas. Hide some help. Get rid of these niggas. What would it was? It is what it is. Whatever you did, it is what it is, and I'm so tired. I fuck with them all, but I got ties. Knock you off to pay their ties. They want me gone, but don't know why. It's too late for all that lovey-dovey shit. I'm your brother shit, all that other shit. It's too late for all that. It's too late for all that. Hey, it's too late for all that lovey-dovey shit. I'm your brother shit, all that other shit. It's too late for that. Hey, it's too late for that. Hey, sick of these niggas. I'm sick of these niggas. Hire some help. Get rid of these niggas. I'm not with the rah rah. I am a da da. My bitch is Chanel now. Your bitch in a squad. Yeah, and he shook. Please don't let them fool ya. I don't care how they look. Heard all of the talking, now it's quiet, now it's shush. 29 is coming, they on edge when I cook Lead the league in scoring, man, but look at my assist Yes, I be with future, but I like to reminisce I do not forget a thing, I'm patient, it's a gift Try to tell them they ain't gotta do it, they insist Yeah, I could tell I just gave them two for 40 million like Chappelle Standing over coughing with a hammer and a nail Heard you hit up so-and-so, they name don't ring a bell Nah, sick of these niggas Hire some help, get rid of these niggas Sick of this shit. I'm running a blitz. Whatever you did, it is what it is, and I'm so tired. I fuck with them all, but I got ties. Knock you off to pay their ties. They want me gone, but don't know why. It's too late for all that lovey dovey shit. I'm your brother shit. All that other shit. It's too late for that. It's too late for that. Hey, it's too late for all that lovey dovey shit. I'm your brother shit, all that other shit It's too late for all that Hey, it's too late for all that